How are y'all? Um, I'm Jared, and uh, some of you guys don't know who I am. Some of you, it's really good to see you. Um, I used to be on staff here at Grace Point uh, for 10 years, uh, it, I think, maybe more than that. And uh, three or so of that youth ministry, um, six or seven of those years, uh, music and, and art. And uh, it's just, it was awesome. Loved everything about uh, what God was doing here and still continue to do here. And uh, so back in January 2014, um, God started doing this thing, unexpected, whispering this thing uh, that um, my wife and I were supposed to leave. And we didn't, we argued for like a year and a half with God. And you guys know how that goes. Um, And so about a year and a half later, we just said, okay, God, if this is you and we believe this is you, we know this is you, we don't know how it's going to happen, but then we're going to obey and so uh, we left Grace Point, and we're, we started a, a new um, project, a church, um, to, called Narrative. And the whole story of how Katie and I got to this point is, is an incredible just God story. Um, but if you guys want to see that, we have a blog, we have a website, ournewnarrative.com, um, that you can just kind of keep up with what Katie and I and our family are doing as we kind of enter into this, this world um, of narrative. And narrative... Uh, is a response to what we're seeing happen in our world, in the West, in America, in the Bible Belt, in Northwest Arkansas. There's a growing population of people that do not understand the concept of what it means to do exactly what you have done this morning, which is come to church. There's a lot of people, more and more and more and more so, that do not understand culturally the, 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 the division is, is becoming wider and wider. In fact, it's so vast that we're really almost asking them to leave their culture, this is going to sound like a missionary, and jump into our culture, right? And so there's this, this, there's this tension, there's this division, this growing subculture of people. And so narrative is a response to that. Narrative, what we're trying and hoping to do is be the church that can go to these cultures in which God is already working and God is already doing in these tribes in which God is already moving. And we just want to join him there and be a kind of a fresh, natural response of what the church can look like with their rhythms and lifestyle patterns, very much like a missionary would, just in our backyard. And so that's what we're doing. Um, that's our response to that. And what we want to do, our, our mission, I guess, is to help rewrite the narrative of what it means to be human. Because society and the world and even the church has messed that up at times. And what it, rewrite the narrative of what it means to follow Jesus. Because that's been skewed. And rewrite the narrative of what it means to be human, to be the church for the outsider. The person that just, the marginalized. They don't feel like they belong. So I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, narrative is not for you because you're here in this great church doing great things. Um, pray for us as we kind of go into these spaces, these corners of our city um, in which the church just doesn't have much influence. And uh, so it's fun, it's adventurous, it's hard, it's terrible. It depends on what day you ask me how we're doing. And the, the way we want to do this, our strategy just really quick is four ways. One is we want to live incarnationally. I heard you guys talked about that last week. We've been teaching and kind of working on that with our folks for like a year now. How do we live incarnationally? This is the doctrine of Christ. Not that he just died and rose again and is coming back later, but that Jesus took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. 
And how do we do that as followers of Christ? So we, the way we're, we want to carry out narrative's mission is to, one, be incarnational, two, belong to a house church. Narrative is a family of house churches. Three, uh, bless. We want to bless the city. Jeremiah 29.7 says, seek the welfare of the city. The world is moving to the city. If you haven't noticed, more people than ever are in 50% are urbanized, are in cities. In 10 years, that's going to be 75% of the world are in cities. So what's God doing in the city? What is so special about the city? There's, there's so much there. But we want to seek the welfare of the city. And then lastly, we want to build up disciples and leaders. Uh, so that's kind of our strategy. So that's the quick overview of narrative. Again, you can go to our blog and you can see more about information about what narrative is doing and how you can pray for us, how you can support us. And so I hope you get to do that. I also work at Bike Rack Brewing Company, which is awesome. For some of you, that's like a little bit weird. Um, it was weird for me entering into that world. Didn't, never thought that I would be um, doing that. And uh, you know what I thought I would be doing? Okay, God, you've got me going into this dark place in our city and I'm going to have you in my pocket. And when I get in, then I can put you out on the bar and then I can bring God, I can bring you into this place. But you know what I've been learning is that God's not absent of any space. Like, do we believe that the one who is in us is greater than he that is in the world? And if we believe that, then there's no space in the world in which God is not already working in his present and is doing something. And so what I realized was I went into bike rack and God was already working there. And there's a group of people there. God is building up and they're showing me more like what it looks like to live like Jesus. And they don't, some of them don't even follow Jesus. Yet they're the most edifying, loving, inclusive, radically inclusive people that I've ever met. And so they're teaching me something. See, God is bigger than just being in our pocket and kind of coming into the room when we come into the room. He's already working. He's already moving. And so why do they need me? Like that's truly, seriously the question I have to ask myself and the question you should ask yourself. Why am I needed? What could I possibly have for them that makes any difference or makes their life better? And this has been the question since day one in this journey. This has been the question. If the gospel is good news... Why is there a growing population of people that don't want it? If the gospel is good news, why do they not feel it? Why do they not want it? Why do they not respect it at least? Maybe, just maybe, my news is not good news to them at all. So, interactive time, because... I think as we ask God, what are you doing and what are you saying? We ought to also be asking the question, what do you want me to do about it? Does that make sense? Like we, discipleship and following Jesus, is not just this attaining knowledge and coming, you know, we have to do something about it. So I want to do something about it this morning. So on your bulletin, you've got some blanks and I want to start here. We're going to do this throughout the morning. Okay. Are you ready? So I want to start with you just writing a name down. Okay. Grab a pen, steal one, whatever, write it in your phone. Write down a name, a name of a person that needs good news, a name of a person that has a need, someone that you have encountered, or maybe you haven't even encountered, you've just seen them in your neighborhood or your workplace, um, you know, in, in a coffee shop or a park or your tennis league. Write down a name of a person that has a need, that needs good news, that doesn't have that. I'll give you 
couple seconds here. I'm just going to sit in awkward silence until you get, you get to figure that out. You know, if you had asked me to do that two years ago, I, I would have had a really hard time thinking of someone. Um, I, I realized for me, this I was kind of living in this very safe bubble in this world that ministry wasn't in all spaces, but just kind of the spaces that were safe for me. And, and so if you're having a hard time with that, it's, it's okay. I, you know, it's all right. Um, but maybe pray and ask God, God, why is there, why can't I think of someone doesn't look like me, act like me, believe like me, that has a need. So, okay, write down a name. What is the gospel? What is, the go- what is this thing that we claim? What is the gospel? Okay, yes, it, it means good news. Literally, that's what the translation of it in the Greek is, is that gospel is good news, but, but I, I need you to do better than that. What is the good news of Jesus? What is the gospel? Go ahead and, go ahead and write down a definition. There, there's no absolute... Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can put that. It's kind of like a diamond. There's all types of different kind of facets to it. But, but I want you to write something down. What is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? Continue right, continue to think through. This is not the answer. Okay, everybody, you know, you can get it right. I, I may be wrong, but this is the one that I've been working through. What I would say right now, the gospel is, at least what I, I feel, is that the gospel is the tangible evidence that Jesus has made the way for anyone to experience new life and participate in God's mission of restoring the world. The tangible evidence that Jesus has made the way for anyone to experience new life and to participate in God's mission of restoring the world. There's a couple of important components. Let's break that apart, okay? First, Jesus has made the way. Jesus has made the way. There is no way that you can make the way to experience these things. So in Galatians, I'm sorry, go back to uh, the first one, guys, Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that we have been saved. Jesus has made the way. That's a very important part of our faith, the good news, the gospel, that we can't earn that. Okay? Secondly, let's, let's talk about anyone. Okay? It's for anyone. Every person, no matter what gender or no matter what race or no matter what social class that you're a part of, it is for anyone, okay? For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek race. There is neither slave nor free social status. There is neither male or female gender. It doesn't matter. All of us are one in Christ. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings and you are heirs fully to the promises of God. And then it's the tangible evidence that Jesus has made the way for anyone to experience new life 
and to be a part of God's restoring of the world. This is the tangible evidence, and this is kind of what I want to talk about this morning. This is what I'd like for us to sit and to wrestle with this morning. The gospel is good news, but it's not news if it's not communicated. Like, let's just think about this for a second. What is the news? The news is a reporting of a story or an event. If it's not reported, then it's not news. That doesn't mean the story and the event didn't happen. But if it's not reported, then it's not news. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The truth of Jesus and rescue us from death and brokenness is not dependent on us. But listen, we are God's plan to make it news. It's not good news unless it's communicated. It's not good news unless it's seen and it's felt. We are the ones that have to press this along. We are the ones ushering this in. And what's happening in here, what's happening in here today is not good news to everyone else out there. Like what, just you coming this morning and Grace Point and this building and the services and narrative and its existence and planting. No, it's not good news. Oh, great. Here's another church. That's exactly what we need. I just passed 14 on my way to this one. Um, Who's going to pay for my bills? I'm still really lonely. How is my family going to get fed? Who's going to adopt me? You see, this is not good news. This is maybe an avenue to the good news, but the good news has to be seen and felt. It has to be tangible. If you've been at Grace Point for any amount of time, you've heard them say, us say, that the greatest way to bless a city is to what? We have to work on that. Plant a church. I heard someone say that. I think it was maybe a staff member. The greatest way to bless the city is to plant a church. What we don't mean by that is build a building and have a service and have a great children's program. What we mean by that is that of any people in the entire universe that ought to be taking care of the hurting and the broken and the lonely in our city, it is the church. Come on, amen. You got to believe this. It's the only reason that you exist. It's the only reason that Jesus gives you an overflow. That's not to waste it. It's so that the people around you feel it. It's not the government's job to do this. It is our job as the church. It's our mandate as the church. That's why the greatest thing the city can receive and hear and see is church. But that's not, that's not what they see. Matthew, well, before we get to the scripture, I want you to write down another thing. You have a name. Hopefully you have a name. Write down a need. Okay, if you thought of the name, go ahead. If you thought of the name, there's got to be a need. What's a need that this person has? Anything, physical, emotional, their marriage is falling apart, their car is broken down, they're depressed. Their flower beds look terrible. Write down a need. 
If there's not tangible evidence that Jesus is the answer to our brokenness and our sickness and our death, then how good can that news be? So let's look at a few scriptures. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hebrews, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do you hear? See, our works are not just to prove to God and prove to others. Our works, the reason God has saved us is that we can usher in, that we can work hard, that we can usher in God's kingdom in heaven. James 2, this is a great one. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you have not given them the things that they need for the body, what good is your faith? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Guys, I'm convinced of this more now than I've ever been. I meet very few people that have a problem with Jesus. The problem is they can't see Jesus past our brand. Very few people have a problem if they just see, okay, this is who Jesus is and they read this. Many a conversations I've had that they would love to be a part of a community that lived out the truths and the promises of Jesus. The problem is they can't see past our brand of Christianity or our brand of of church. Kind of like Casey's Pizza. (laughs) Carrie Abbott knows what I'm talking about. I mean, let's be real. That pizza is really good. Have y'all ever had the taco pizza from Casey's? Or the barbecue beef pizza from Casey's? No, because you're not peasant ordinary folk, commoners like me, that eat out of a gas station. It's actually a general store. I'm going to correct that. You can't see past the brand, but you know that the good news of Casey's is that there's amazing pizza in there. I should, I should warn them. Their sales are going to like triple today probably <laughs> if you trust me. <clears throat> All right, so let's get into the book of Numbers. Yes, that is a book of the Bible. You don't know it because in your one-day uh, Bible journey, you stop at Leviticus. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Can you turn there for me? We're going to be in Numbers 13, okay? Numbers 13. Dust it off. Or the pages are probably sticking together. (laughs) All right. So Numbers 13, God tells Moses to send send spies out into Canaan, and he asks them to report on what they've seen. So so let's pick it up in, in verse 17, Numbers 13. Moses gave the men these instructions, and he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people who are living there are strong or weak, few or many. Verse 22. Going north, they passed through the Negev and arrived in Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talamai, all descendants of Anak, lived. Verse 23. 
when they came to the valley of Eshkol, a dry valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of pomegranates and figs. Verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel in Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report. We entered the land you told us to explore, and it is indeed bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here, look, here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. And we even saw giants. Giants there, the descendants of Anak. So this whole experiment was a disaster. In fact, we find out later that 10 of the 12 tribes that were sent out to be spies bailed because the people are strong, the cities are fortified, and we feel like grasshoppers. There were only two that left that actually followed through with God's command to to go. Does anybody know who those were? Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that disagreed with everyone but the people hearing the news refused to obey God. And so what, God, what did God do? He sends them in a roundabout through the desert until an entire nation, uh, a generation had died, leaving only Joshua and Caleb to enter into this land flowing with milk and honey. But back to Numbers 13. The spies came to this dry valley called Eshkel where grapes were growing and they brought back the fruit of a sign, as a sign of promise, as a sign of hope of a land flowing with milk and honey and enough grapes for everyone. Yes, it's terrifying out there. Yes, the reality of the suffering and the destruction that may come. But listen, there is hope, guys. There's hope. And there are people in your spaces that need hope and something to believe in that will never go void, a promise that will never disappoint. Our job is in the dry valleys to be bringing the grapes back to our community and saying there is something here that Jesus is doing. Goodness and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and self-control, these things, the fruits of what it means to follow after Jesus are here. Wait, wait, wait. God's not this cosmic, big, angry, wrathful God with lightning bolts in his hands ready to zap whoever does wrong. Wait, 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 you're telling me that I can have a relationship with the God of the universe and I don't have to earn it? Because I've never heard of a love like that. Jesus is the most inclusive, most loving without boundaries, most honest, most compassionate person that's ever walked this planet. And Jesus is God in the flesh the fullness of God made fully known through Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. This is the good news. And our promised land is not simply heaven. Our job is not to get man to heaven. Our job is to bring heaven to man. Our promised man is not heaven, land is not simply heaven. It's the entire renewed and restored world. What that means is that what you do actually matters. 1 Corinthians 3. It talks about when you build with things, what are you building with? Are you building with hay? Are you building with wood? Are you building with gold or silver or bronze? What are you building with? Because there's going to be a day in which it's going to be tested by fire. And the things that were built that actually were of my kingdom... 
are going to last. Heaven is not this cosmic car wash in which God's just like, okay, everybody, practice run, trial, do your best. Okay, that was great, good job. Now I'm just gonna wipe it all clean because I hate all of this and we're just gonna start new. No, God loves this world. God loves this world and he is redeeming and restoring the world through you and through me. John the Baptist, imprisoned and soon to die. Dude's having a bad day. He sends his disciples to go and say, okay, go and talk to this Jesus guy. Ask him if he's the good news we've been waiting for. So Luke 7, it says, John's two disciples found Jesus, said, hey, JB asked us, don't be offended, but are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we just keep looking for someone else? At the very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illnesses and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. And he told John's disciples, go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The deaf, they hear. The dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Look at this scripture. This is your kingdom job description. This is your kingdom job description. To bring hope in which there is no hope. Are we the transformed people of Jesus or are we not? Are we claiming this thing, yet there is no fruit that looks like I'm any different than anybody else around me? We bear the divine DNA. Are we communicating that good news? N.T. Wright says it so beautifully. He says, never get so wrapped up in your salvation that you forget what you were saved for. It's not just a ticket to heaven. God is saving the world through us. The one united holy church, our being saved is bound up. It's bound up with pointing to and embodying in advance the forthcoming kingdom. Your salvation and my salvation is not an individualistic thing. This is a minimalistic and depleted view of what it means to be saved. When you think about Jesus physically coming out of the grave as a new creation, not as just a spirit, if you're a Christian, then you have to see yourself physically as a new creation. And then you have to see that you have a charge to make every square inch in the space around you more becoming of the kingdom of God. Every square inch. That is, your, that is your school classrooms, that is your neighborhoods, that is where you work, that is where you play. Every square inch embodying what it means to look like the kingdom coming. Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you have a name and you have a need. Now I want you to write down, what is good news for this person? Just write it down. What is, what is good news? Hey, come to church. Is that good news for them? Do better. What is good news? The very nature of God is a sending nature. Everything from Abram in Genesis 12 to Revelation 22, hundreds of examples of God is a sending God. And perhaps the most dramatic story is in Isaiah, where Isaiah has this, he approaches the holiness of God. He has this experience of who God is. And then God, at the end of it, says, who's going to go for us? 
And Isaiah says, I'm here. I've seen who you are. I want to help you communicate that. Send me. And then that picks up in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, we see what Isaiah is actually sent to. It's a fascinating passage of what he's been anointed to do. And in the larger passage of Isaiah 61, there's no less than eight redemptive deeds that proceed from or are dependent on the verb sent or he has sent me. So it was very appropriate exegetically to break apart Isaiah 61 in that every one of those redemptive deeds start with, he has sent me. So I want to read this together. So all of us together, we're going to read, say, he has sent me. And then I'll read the rest. Okay, you ready? We're going to do this and say it like you, like don't hate it, you know? The last service was like, he has sent me. It's like, golly, church. All right, I believe in you. Come on, let's do it together. He has sent me, yeah, to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives. He has sent me to release from darkness the prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn. He has sent me to provide for those who grieve in Zion. He has sent me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He has sent me to bestow the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And he has sent me to bestow the garment of praise instead of the garment of despair. And if this passage seems familiar, it's because Jesus in Luke 4 repeats the same thing. Jesus says, I've been sent by the Father for these reasons as well. This is Jesus' mission statement. So if God is ascending God, and we have people all around us that need good news, how do I participate in that? You see, it's not that God's church has a mission. Brad Briscoe says it's that God's mission has a church. And that is very, very different. We are not the center. The center is, this is what is coming, the becoming of the kingdom of God, all the things we've just read and talked about. How is that going to happen? How is that going to be accomplished? God's mission has a church. And so every one of you in this room, it's not left up to the, to the experts. And that's not just this like pep talk. It's scripture that God has given you every right. It's a theology called the priesthood of all believers that no longer like the Old Testament where Moses had to walk up to the top of the mountain, hear from God, and then walk back down from the mountain and tell everybody what God said. We all, every one of us, as believers of Jesus, have access to God, not only access, but your church says you are, every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. So you have everything that you need to see the mission and to be the church that makes a change, that actually brings good news. So how do we do this? How do we participate in this? I've got four Ds for you this morning. Are you ready? They're very simple. First one is this. Discover. What is God doing? What is God doing? And you can't, you can't just like make that up. You have to listen. You may have to put, um, sign your kid up for soccer. Or instead of doing the gymnastic studio like a 
two towns across because it's a better gymnastics studio? Why don't you do the one that's right by your neighborhood? Because the people in your neighborhood are also going to that one. And you get to meet your neighbors. Or maybe you can put chairs out on your front porch instead of driving into your garage and putting the garage door down before you even get out. You can actually meet people. You have to listen. You have to discern. God, what are you doing? And discover those things. The second one, I took it, I, I, I stole it. Discern. God, what are you doing? And now, in light of our gifts and resources, our, because mission doesn't happen alone, do this in your family. Do this in your community. How does God want us to participate? Okay, God, this is the people that you're surrounding us with. This is what's happening. Now, God, what, what, how can I get in there and actually bring them good news? Third, do. Please don't ask God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move and do something. That's been very convicting for me. Just do something. Throw a party for crying out loud. Man, Christians, we suck at like making friends and throwing parties. We're weird. We're weird in those environments. We're just like, okay, we're going to throw this party, and then we're going to hand out tracks. Romans, a, Romans wrote. And then they don't want to be with us. Let's just be friends with them, engage them, show them that we love them, and that they are worthy of our love because they're not first sinners in need of a savior because that's Genesis 3. They are first made in the image of God. That's Genesis 1. And when we see people, we see them as valued and worthy. And we see them as people that may even bring us, teach us something of God. So do. And then the last one is debrief in your communitas group or in your family, missions in community. Reflect and pray with that community. Christians, we've been given a mandate to bring good news to the world. Don't get caught up in the ROI. The return is not your job. Our job is the investment. We are not the ones, like I said earlier, bringing man to heaven. We're the ones bringing heaven to man. And if you can just release the guilt and the pressure of that, because that's not your job anyway, and know that God's the one doing that work, and if you will just look around you and say, I don't really, all I have to do is just kind of look around and say, like, who needs good news? What does heaven look like more in this community? If we can do that, then the Holy Spirit can then all of a sudden open up doors, open up conversations. Our trust is built. We love them. We're actually friends with them. They're not projects. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning and you're here because you're looking for good news or you've heard good news and you want to find out more, the good news is that God has been made fully known, fully known through Jesus to humanity. And you can know him right now, this morning, your life can be forever changed, not into a churchgoer, but into a, a new you, in which what you do, being rescued from death and receiving unconditional love, you've been given an eternal reason to make this world, an eternal reason to make this world more joyful, more loving, more beautiful. you shook someone's hand this morning when you walked in, take them to lunch today. 
If you don't know your neighbors, take them some banana bread. So someone in the first service were like, I've been with them for three years. I've been in this neighborhood for three years. I've never met them before. And so I got to sit with them last week and she went and took banana bread to her neighbor. I was like, sorry, we've been around each other for three years. It's kind of like the airplane rule. If, you don't, if you're sitting by somebody in the first five minutes, you don't say anything, you don't say anything the rest of the time or it's awkward, right? So how hard is it like for th- like three years later, be like, hello, neighbor. But you know what? She got invited into the home. She knows their names. And who knows what God's going to do through that banana bread? What is good news? Okay, so the last thing, the band's going to come out. Because discipleship very simply is, what is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? So you have a name and you have a need and you believe you know what good news for them is. So what? Write that down on your paper. So what? So what are you going to do about it? Don't write, invite them to church. Please. You are the church. You are inviting them into relationship with God because you're showing them what a relationship with God looks like. If they are poor, help them pay the bills. If they are hungry, help them be fed. Don't just throw food at them. Help them become a better restored family. If they are lonely, be their friend. Show them what heaven looks like. God, we love you. I just have to often ask, God, are you sure that you want me to be the one? And I just know that you have put my neighbors around me and the people that I work with around me for a very specific reason. And that is to show them everything that you are to show them tangible, physical evidence that I have been changed and that there's hope and there's promise. May the words that we've heard this morning not go void. May they not stop at information intake. God, may the overflow that you're pouring in be an overflow on those around us. You are worthy of it. Bless the banana bread that's going to be baked after this service, God. It's your name we pray and all God's people said.